Welcome to the Reality Check Podcast. I'm Zachary Phillips. Today I want to talk to you about introversion versus extroversion. So it may come as a surprise, but I'm an introvert. I am not that comfortable in big public settings. I get overwhelmed by loud noises, loud, loud sights, loud, um, you know, big, pretty, bright lights, and just lots of stimulus happening. It's a bit too much. I can I can put on the act, I can, you know, go to the parties, I can do the thing, but after a while, it's, you know, a bit, I need a bit of recovery time from that whole thing. My wife, on the other hand, she's an extrovert. The more people around her, the, the bigger her smile, the more she lights up. It's almost like the more people around her, the more energy she gets. I wanted to sort of talk about what it's like to be an introvert, um, but also still manage social gatherings and all of that sort of stuff. The reason I'm wanting to do this podcast was basically inspired by a quote or a saying that goes something along the lines of, for an introvert, a big social gathering is like a hard gym workout. It's great for us. We love to do it. But afterwards, we need rest and recovery. When I heard this, I'm like, oh my God, I need to talk about this because it's so true. I, I love the big social gatherings, but it just, it comes at a cost. If you're familiar with the spoon theory, if not, look up spoon theory. But basically, the idea is that you have a certain amount of energy or spoons that you can designate to different tasks in your life. So let's say you've got to go to work, that costs you a certain amount of the energy for your day, a certain amount of spoons that you could possibly contribute to that task. So for me, a big social gathering costs me spoons. It doesn't mean that I'm not willing to spend it, but it takes something from me that I need to rest and recover to heal from. My wife, on the other hand, she gets spoons. It adds her, it adds to her life, it, it energizes her. So the key here is to really know what you're like personally and what, what that means for you in terms of planning and going to social events. One of the things I like to do is guard my mental state at all costs. So what that means is I will make decisions based on what I'm going to do, who I'm going to see, you know, everything based around how it will best impact my mental state. So there's, you know, there's quite a lot of depths because obviously, you know, if you're having a bad day, going to work might not be the best for your mental state, but you've got to balance that with your financial needs and the worry that having less money would cause. So it's not a simple like black and white decision, but let's take the social event. Let's say I've been invited to a party and I know it's going to be big. There'll be loud noises and music and a whole bunch of stuff happening. I have to go, well, how will that impact my mental state? I know from past experience that bigger style parties are taxing. However, I also know that I enjoy them. So I have to go, well, how have I been feeling this week? How am I feeling today? If I'm feeling good, if I want to spend those spoons and I think I can handle it, I'll go. But when I'm there, I'll also be considering, well, how am I feeling? Do, am I enjoying it? And if I'm not enjoying it, I'll politely excuse myself and leave. If on the day I'm feeling not so great and I think that going to the party would sort of tip me over the edge, I'll cancel. I'll bail. Now, this... I suppose initially by friends and family might have been seen as rude or, you know, flaky, but the more I share and the more I talk to them about how I feel in those sort of situations, the more they understand. So in that sense, guarding my mental state is involves looking at how I'm feeling, judging the situation, judging how I'm feeling on the day and acting and planning accordingly. And the other thing is, is while I'm at the party, I could either try and be in the center of attention or sort of, you know, chat in small, small little gatherings within that party. The other thing that I like to do is when I'm arranging things, in the past, I would just do the typical, you know, parties and gatherings that other people did. 
However, they're not as enjoyable to me as small social catch-ups. So just yesterday, I caught up with a friend um, and his partner, and it was just me, myself, her, and my wife, four people. That to me is a really good size because you know you, you can have a you can have a direct conversation with every member, and you know people aren't left out, and there's not too many people to balance. We went out and had some nice food, and you know went out for a, you know social gathering afterwards, just just nice and chilled. That works for me. For other people, maybe not so much. But once again, it's about working out what you are comfortable with and planning and dictating where you want things to happen in your life to that regard. Because if you're an extrovert, maybe, you know, it depends on how extroverted you are, but a, a quiet, you know, a quiet catch up where you're just having, you know, a, a long, deep conversation might be completely boring to you. You might want adventure and adrenaline and loud music and dancing. That sounds terrible to me but maybe not to you. So it's about working out what you personally prefer. My wife made a little quip to me and she she um she's a funny one when she when she gets her um gets her mind to it. She said that I'm so introverted that writing fiction is a stressful social gathering for me. And I thought it was fairly funny because I thought about it and I'm like, you know, you're right. If I am to write fiction, I have to think about a bunch of social interactions. I'm there. I'm focusing on all of these social dynamics. And yeah, it does it does take a bit out of me. So <laughs> I thought it was quite funny when she brought that up because doing different things for different people will be stressful in different ways. I suppose the, the question that I need to answer from this is, well, how do I feel comfortable talking on a podcast, doing videos, sharing my story as a book and doing interviews and that sort of stuff? The reason being is that for whatever reason, those activities I'm fine with primarily because I'm in control of when they happen and because I'm not physically present to a bunch of people. One person could listen to this podcast or 10,000, but on my end, I'm staring at a screen. So in actual fact, I'm here alone in my room. So I don't want to paint the picture that I'm completely withdrawn and stuff. I do things every day. I'll, I'll go to work. I'll go to my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu classes where there's, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 people present and I'm more than social, more than happy to interact and I quite enjoy it. All I'm saying is, is that knowing myself, I take steps to best, best look after my mental state. I want to make sure that if there is a risk of me feeling bad, that I've got steps in place to minimize those. Should Do I need to, you know, have an escape strategy? Do I need to have maybe an excuse to sort of excuse myself to the bathroom just to sort of have a little rest and recovery? Whatever it is, I look after myself. In the past, I found that having some headphones and a song that really sort of spoke to me and sort of calmed me down was a good strategy to sort of just reset, take a quick break, listen to the song on my own, go for a little walk, listen to the song on my own, and come back revitalized and rejuvenated. I know it sounds a bit funny and a bit weird, but what that did was I would just briefly excuse myself, not not really mention anything, go off, have a quick walk, three, four, five minutes later, I'm back. People didn't really even know that I was gone. I listened to the music, took a few deep breaths, sort of a little bit of a um, quick meditation session, basically, and then I'm back. What I want you to try is, first of all, work out what suits you in terms of introversion and extroversion and start taking steps in your life day to day and at the workplace. And I'm just about to get into the workplace to best 
benefit your mental state to best guard your mental state, whatever that may be. If you need to, contact me. We can talk about it. Um, you know, hit me up on, on social media at Zach P. Phillips, and we can talk through some strategies that could best help you to address your unique situation. So speaking of that, what do you do with work? So for those that don't know, um, day-to-day making a living, I'm a replacement teacher, and I also teach martial arts to kids where I train, and a little bit of coaching on the side as well. But all of those jobs involve me interacting with a group of people. So in a school setting, there's, you know, 26 uh, teenagers or primary school kids, and the kids' classes at the gym are sort of somewhere between 5 and 14-year-olds. Private sessions with adults are just, you know, one-on-one sessions. So I'm interacting with people throughout the day, and there's, you know, a lot of stimulus. And as, as an introvert, that can get a bit overwhelming. So for me personally, I've realized that I'm good at what I do, but it comes at, once again, at a cost. So I make sure that I exercise and meditate daily, and if I need to take a day off, I will. But the key thing that I did was realize that I couldn't work full-time being a teacher. I enjoy it, so that's why I keep doing it, but I couldn't work, continue working full-time. The only other options available to me would, would be to change career. And why I'm saying this is because let's say you're in a career that's just not suited to you. If you're like, say, a shy, introverted person, sales, front desk, all that sort of stuff might not be the best job for you. If you find yourself waking up and dreading going to work and having that sinking feeling and just not liking what you're doing, that's a real sure sign that you're in a position that you don't like, or I suppose that, you know, the workplace is toxic. But either way, if the workplace is toxic or you're not really suited to the job you're in, you have to change. You need, you need, to, you need to take a step to find a different job or a different workplace in the same field. But once again, guard your mental state, take that step and find a position that best suits you. If you find that you're shy and you don't like dealing with customers, that's completely fine. There are a bunch of back-end jobs in most businesses in which you don't need to deal face-to-face with people. You know, like the cliche, you know, IT guy or IT girl in 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 most organizations, they, they keep to themselves, you know, and it, it sort of makes sense that that job would be best filled by a more introverted, more systems-based, more more sort of logical thinking sort of person. Whereas the HR position or the customer relations person needs to be a bit more extroverted, a bit more um, higher sort of um, interpersonal skills. And, you know, they don't need to have that logical systems-based approach. If, you, if you're placed in an organization in the wrong part of that organization, you're going to hate what you're doing and it's going to bring you down. I just... <laughs> One one of my pet peeves is people that dislike their job but and complain about disliking their job but aren't taking any active steps to change it. I know that it sucks. I know that it's going to be hard to change. I know that it's scary and dangerous and you've got all these responsibilities. I had those same responsibilities and so did every single other person that made a change in their career. I listen to I listen to a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk and he 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 lists a bunch of things in his books and his podcasts and stuff. Check him out. But he lists a bunch of a bunch of stuff, and he basically says all of these are excuses. And you know, you, you know, you might be too old, too young, untrained, not the right time. You might worry about responsibilities and all this sort of stuff. And I get that. But a lot of the a lot of the things that are holding you back is your fear of change. You may you may have to to take a cut in income, but you could probably cut some of your luxury spending. And you could probably plan ahead 
to cover those costs. Yes, there's obviously unique circumstances, but I guarantee that 90% of you that are saying, oh, you know, you don't know my situation, I can't afford it. I reckon 10% of you are probably right that you are sort of quite trapped by your circumstances, but 90% of you have a bunch of expenses that you could sacrifice, you could you could go without for a few months until you got back on your feet. I'm talking about like sub- subscription services like Netflix and, you know, all of those things. I'm talking about like eating out at, at a bunch of fancy restaurants or going out to cafes. I'm talking about, can you, you know, get rid of your expensive car that's costing you a bunch of repayments, get a cheaper car. Can you, you know, do you need to be having the, you know, going out to the movies all the time. There's a whole bunch of things that you will be able to cut costs on. Is there any sort of little side hustles you can do to earn a little bit of extra cash on the side? Can you, you know, get get help or, you know, loan your time to someone else and get some help and assistance back doing the things you need to, to do around the house, for example, handyman work in, you know, you know, time for time or, you know, bartering services to save money. There's a whole bunch of little solutions that you can do. Once again, I encourage you, PM me and talk to me through talk through to me with your problems in this regard and perhaps we can come up with some you know alternative solutions or things outside of the box that you might not be be aware of something my my wife does to earn a bit of extra cash on the side we have our son Archer so we want to make sure that he's looked after and with one of us basically at all time we don't really like the idea of you know putting him into childcare so Maria and I can go off to work and then come back you know 8 hours later some people do that and it's it's their choice, but for us, we want to be around him and, you know, raise him ourselves as best possible. So we're like, well, with that in mind, that means that, you know, if I'm working, my wife, Maria, she has to be with Archer. So that's going to come at a massive cost to our income. What's the way around this? And there's, there's a couple of ways we could, well, what Maria does do is she babysits. She gets, she minds other, other people's children whilst they go off to work. And she gets to stay around with my son. My son and, and the, the babysitting client's child gets to play. Everyone works out for the best because the baby, you know, the baby that we're minding gets gets a bit of fun with my son. My son gets a bit of interaction and also gets to have his mum with him the whole time. Now, don't be don't get me wrong, if she if my wife was working, you know, in a quote proper job, she might be able to triple her daily income. But it's a trade-off that we're making based on the lifestyle that we want. We also try and sell a bunch of stuff on eBay. If we see some stuff on the side of the road that's literally just been thrown out by people, we'll pick it up, clean it down, and sell it. You know, and like we found maybe a few chairs that, you know, just thrown out on sell it for 50 bucks on eBay. It's a little process. It's a little side hustle. But why it works is because given our situation, given what we want from life, given our mental states, it's a really good way to make a little bit of cash on the side. That little bit of extra cash is able to help us cover the bills, pay for some food, and sort of bridge that gap. The reason I'm bringing this up with you is there's a lot of out-the-box style things that you could do that could help you bridge that income gap if you do need to change jobs. The reason you should consider doing that is because if you're working a job that you don't like, if you're doing something that you're not happy with, if you're complaining about it every day, that's not good for your long-term mental health. You work for, you know, 40 to 60 hours per week, every week for 48 weeks per year for, you know, 
the rest of your life from, say, what, 25 until you're 67, until you retire. That is a lot of time to be hating life. That's so much t- That's such a massive percentage of your life that to be doing something you don't like. My God, I, I don't know. I, I, I keep ranting about this and it, it might get a bit tedious. So I'll sort of come to a stop soon. But that's just so much time that if you make a small sacrifice now, a, a few months of your life now, however old you are, 20, 30, 40, it might save you, you know, years, decades of your life of hating what you're doing. Think about it. If you risk it now, you've got years of your life to retrain, to refocus and to find something to do with the rest of your life, to earn the income that you have to earn. I get that. Everyone has to earn it, but you can be doing something that you absolutely hate or something that you don't hate as much, or, God forbid, something that you like. Think about what you want to be doing for your life. Think about what you enjoy, and really just drive hard, focus on how you can work and get that job. I'm going to finish with one more story, and this was from a student that I met when she was in year seven, and we were talking about what she wants to do when she's older, and she said something along along the lines of dentist or doctor or a lawyer, some, one of those sort of cliche jobs, but she didn't seem happy about it. And I asked her, I'm like, well, you know, do you, what do you, you know, do you, do you really want to be, we'll say, we'll say a doctor. Do you really want to be a doctor? And she's like, oh yeah, sort of. And then I'm like, or do your parents or someone else want you to be a doctor? And she's like, yeah, they're really pushing me into doing that doctor thing. But I just, and she sort of opened up and shared how she doesn't like that idea at all. And that her parents are sort of strongly pushing down that path. I asked her, what does she enjoy? And she said, whitewater rafting. She enjoys whitewater rafting, but there's no money in it. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, the average whitewater rafting person, quote unquote, won't be earning necessarily a doctor's salary. But we, we talked about the different options in that industry. There's competitions that she could go into. She could become a salesperson of whitewater rafting. She should she could become the leading blog slash vlogger on whitewater rafting techniques or how to get into it. She could become a coach or an adventure um, trails guide or you know any number of related things in that industry. If you think about it, there's any industry that is sold or anywhere that you can buy or do. There's a money making opportunity for that if you're creative enough. I don't know what happened to this to this girl if she's going down the path of becoming a doctor or if she'll go down, you know, a path of the whitewater rafting. But what I do know is that if she, you know, when she grows up, if she doesn't like being a doctor and she becomes a doctor, every time she's working, she'll be thinking far out, I wish I'd chosen differently. I wish I'd chosen differently. Eventually, all of the people in her life that were saying, hey, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, will pass. Eventually, it'll be on her to provide a living for her family, to keep herself alive, to pay for the house, to pay for the car, to do all of that sort of stuff. And if she's spent that time studying and growing her doctor business or spent that time studying and growing her whitewater rafting business, she'll be able to scrounge a living if she's creative enough with it. One of those options she'll be happy and one she won't be. The reason people push you to do the traditional path is because they care and that's because they think will be the best for you. However, you know, and I, I get that, and I hope that my son chooses something that is secure enough to, you know, bring him that money and make sure that he's, you know, mentally stable. But what I really do hope is that he chooses something that he enjoys and that he he actually loves doing. To be forced into something, 
to be to be pushed into it because it's the quote safe option makes me wonder what's the point what's the point of just going through and not enjoying it so i've sort of deviated off topic here and i get i get i guess that's what i do when i rant but i don't know just it's it's one of these pet peeves that i have so bringing this all back to the topic of introversion and extroversion if if you're in your personal life or in your work life guard your mental state at best possible if you're an introvert, find jobs and social situations that best cater to that introversion. If you're an extrovert, if you like and need people around you, find jobs and personal situations that best cater to that. That way you will be happier and just feel better in your life. So thanks for listening, guys. I want to encourage you to follow me on social media at Zach P. Phillips. If you haven't already, I've just released my next book, Upgrade. It's out now. You can head over to my website, zachary-phillips.com slash upgrade, and there's a chapter online. Just with, with Upgrade and with Under the Influence, my first book, I'm going to be releasing a chapter here, maybe once per month, and you know for free. You'll be able to listen to it on my podcast, as well as read it on my blog. The links will be up there. The reason I'm doing this is because I want to make sure that what I put out there, all of my content, all of the books that I'm writing are free and available to anyone who wants to read them themselves. What I am doing though is I'm putting them out there as a book, paperback, ebook, and audiobook if you would like to buy and own a copy or just if you want to thank me for what I'm doing here. You can purchase a book as a small thank you. You get to own the copy and it, it helps me out by giving me a little bit of cash back to help support what I'm doing here. The other way you can help support me, which is a massive, um, would be a massive, massive compliment, would be to support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Zach P. Phillips. Patreon's a contribution-based um, website in which people who are content creators and artists like myself can get monthly contributions by their you know, supporters as a way to help them sustain what they're doing. All I'm asking for is a $1 monthly contribution. $1 on your end, won't you won't even notice it. But on my end, if enough of you come together and contribute that $1 per month, it means that I'll be able to do a bunch more podcasts, a bunch more videos, a bunch more blogs, and write a bunch more. And the more that I can do that, the more I'll be able to release for free, and it just helps everyone. So if you if you can spare that $1 per month, check me out on Patreon. I'll put the link in the show notes below, or consider purchasing one of my books. I'll link those below as well. Um, and yeah, regardless of all of that, hit me up on social media. I want to start making videos in which I'm answering your questions. So if you've got something that I want to, you want me to, to address or maybe shoot a video or if it's a really in-depth topic, write a, po- um, write a podcast or a blog about, I will. Hit me up on social media at Zach P. Phillips. Thanks for listening, guys.